Today on Ag News Daily. Obviously, there's some adjustments higher that can be made, especially whenever our export program for new crop is so strong. So are we done rallying? I don't know that we can make new highs, uh, but I certainly think that 177.5 keeps the market extremely well supported. Good afternoon and welcome to a Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say, we've been getting an adequate amount of rain in Lubbock the past uh, couple of days or so. I've woken up to some wet concrete. I don't think it's from the sprinklers, though, because I did hear some thunder along with it. But this morning, I was walking over to my apartment gym, and it was pretty wet. So it looks like we got some early morning rain today. We did not get any rain over the weekend. It was hot and dry here. It was nice though. Got outside, got a little golfing this weekend, got a little sunburn action yesterday. But yeah, I think um, outside of your neck of the woods, I think hot and dry is going to be in the forecast here for about the next week or so. So we did not see, unfortunately, commodity markets follow through on that action, trading that news today. And the overnight, we definitely were trading that news. And then into today, into the opening, not so much, but we will continue to probably see that hot and dry forecast for at least the next couple of days here, Ashton. Well, Delaney, another thing that happened over the weekend was a confirmation of a third case of African swine fever in Germany. And this isn't in, you know, their their wild boar like we've talked about in the past. This is domestic pigs on pig farms. And again, this case was confirmed in Brandenburg, which is where we saw the previous cases in domestic hogs last week. But this case was on a small farm with four pigs inside the restriction zone where the disease is common, again, among those wild boar. So it did happen in that restriction zone. So I don't think they're going to widen it or anything like that. But I don't think this is good news, of course, for the German pork industry. Um, There's already a couple of bans outside the European Union, but I haven't heard if the European Union or any of those countries are banning imports of German pork. I have not either, Ashton, but I would assume it's probably safe to bet that there are countries that are going to ban imports of German pork, including China, uh, even as we continue to watch them eat away here at pork, it appears that they may not be importing German pork, which uh, I don't know that they get a lot of pork from Germany in the first place, but it sounds like they will be arranging for a new round of pork purchases for state state reserves following the date of July 21st. We should see them have a good little uptick here in pork imports. Hopefully, of course, some of those coming from the United States. But I was actually just chatting earlier today with ambassador, former ambassador to China, Terry Branstead. And he said that he doesn't really see China backing down anytime soon as far as imports go. So that should be pretty supportive for the U.S. marketplace. However, Ashton, one thing that was not supportive and really was trading the uh, was pushing the markets to trade a little bit harder today, mostly to the downside, was some new COVID numbers that we had today focused on the Delta variant. A lot of fears are happening worldwide about the this new potential variant and whether or not that will force us back into a lockdown. And we saw 
that crude oil prices, they were down about 7% today. We saw uh, the treasuries plummet as well as the Dow and other stock markets, mostly just trading on the fear of maybe some uncertainty here with this new variety. I've been wondering myself what's going to happen because there has been an uptick, I think, in in COVID numbers. I haven't been following it as closely as I guess you have, Delaney. So I appreciate you, you know, bringing up this up. But I, I've got to say, I'm a little bit fearful as well. I really, sincerely hope that we don't go into another lockdown phase. Yeah, me too. And the economy really, really does not want to see us have that happen either. So fingers crossed, that doesn't happen at least here in the United States. Well, in Texas, I, I doubt it does. Our governor is has put a couple of pieces of legislation into place about masks and, and those kinds of things. So I don't know if we'll actually see that in Texas, but we will, of course, be keeping our eyes out on that, Delaney. But I want to go back talking about import-export relationships because Kazakhstan plans to limit exports of barley and wheat used for animal feeds and completely ban exports of rye for six months amid feed shortages caused by drought across Central Asia. The restrictions are said to be imposed from August 15th, but the exact dates may change. And I assume that they're going to even be longer if this drought continues in Central Asia. But I want to point out that Kazakhstan is the biggest grain producer in the former Soviet region of Central Asia, located between Russia and China. This region of Central Asia has seen abnormal heat over the last few weeks, and farmers in some Kazakh provinces have reported feed shortages and even death of their livestock. So pretty detrimental, not only to those who import things from Kazakhstan, but of course, those producers that are struggling with this heat. And I didn't originally think that, you know, too many might be impacted by this, but some big importers of Kazakh crops are Uzbekistan, Tazakhstan, Afghanistan, and even China, Italy, and Turkey. So not only are these people that are producing in Kazakhstan going to be hurting, or they already are hurting, I should say, but these people who are importing from Kazakhstan, sounds like they might be hurting over the next six months or even longer as well. It certainly sounds that way, Ashton. But uh, for other producers that are hurting, and I'm talking U.S. producers here in this instance, we've got a new piece of legislation here, or not legislation, I should say, but a new subsidy that has uh, just recently come out. I wanted to make sure we mentioned here on the podcast, and that is a new piece of legislation specifically geared for hog and poultry producers who've had to depopulate herds or flocks due to COVID-19 slowdowns in processing plants, which I know was a big issue, especially in those two particular industries. The application period for the Pandemic Livestock Indemnity Program starts officially tomorrow on July 20th and will run through September of uh, September 17th. And these payments are, again, to specifically cover the cost of euthanizing and disposing of animals that were effects of the slowdown we saw in the processing industry. So, of course, you know, you can always reach out to your local FSA office. That is probably the most convenient place for you to find out more information. But there is a little bit of subsidy money floating around starting tomorrow for those producers who were impacted by those issues in the supply chain last year. 
Well, Delaney, my last story that I wanted to share with you, it slipped in between the cracks a little bit, but it is concerning uh, a piece of legislation and one that the NCBA calls misguided. What I'm talking about here is the Farm System Reform Act that was reintroduced last week by New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, a bill that he says would, quote, transform a broken system. Similar legislation was introduced in the House by Congressman Roe Canna. The lawmakers claim the legislation will create a level playing field for independent family farms. The Farm System Reform Act, however, targets more than just big meat packers. It would place an immediate moratorium on new and expanding concentrated animal feeding operations, otherwise known as CAFOs, and force the largest ones to close by 2040. To make that possible, the act would authorize $100 billion over 10 years for voluntary buyouts of CAFOs. Those funds could be used to partially or fully pay off outstanding debt on those CAFOs, or to cover transition costs to alternative agriculture activities, raising pasture-based livestock, growing specialty crops, or organic commodity production. Now, this act does a couple of different things, and I I am going to go ahead and rattle them off because I want to talk a little bit more about what NCBA is is saying about this act, because it would force cattle feedlots of more than 1,000 head to close by January 1st of 2040, hold corporate integrators responsible for pollution and other harm caused by CAFOs provide a voluntary buyout for farmers who want to transition out of operating a CAFO, strengthen the Packers and Stockyards Act to protect family farmers and ranchers, restore mandatory country of origin labeling requirements for beef and pork and expand to dairy products, and prohibit the USDA from labeling foreign foreign imported meat products as product of the USA. Now, some of that sounds a little interesting, but NCBA Vice President of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane, who we've talked to and talked to on the podcast before, said that NCBA has long been on the forefront of issues like product of the USA labeling and competitive and transparent markets and a more resilient supply chain. While it's positive to see some of these key producer concerns receiving attention from two members of the Senate and the House Agriculture Committees, we're also frustrated to see them buried in a in such a sprawling, misguided package. Of the legislation that has been put forth so far, he says that one of these paths, specifically talking about the recent announcement from Secretary Tom Bilsack, offers a, quote, practical long-term progress for our producers. But like I said in the beginning, NCBA is concerned a little bit more with the Farm System Reform Act because they say that it is misguided. And this was introduced last week. I believe this article is five days old. So we kind of let it slip through a little. But uh, I wanted to bring it back up because I definitely think that it is interesting and I want to continue, of course, to look at these two pieces of legislation and kind of dissect them and see which one might be more helpful for our industry. Absolutely, Ash. And I'm glad you are staying on top of that because that one also slipped through uh, my fingertips as well. Well, Delaney, do you have anything to talk about before heading over into the markets? I don't think I do other than chatting markets for today, Ash. And what do you say? We go ahead and hop right in. Let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, we saw some strength in the overnight trade. We did not follow through in that action into today's sessions. We'll talk about that and more with Matt Bennett coming up here in just a moment. 
But uh, we did have just slight strength today in the corn markets with the September contract up a penny to close at 5.57. The D's up a penny as well to close at 5.53. Soybeans were the biggest loser today with the August contract selling off 26 and three quarters cents to close at 14.28. The November down 19 to close at 13.72 and three quarters. In the wheat pits today, we saw strength across the board as the Chicago September contract up six and a half cents to close at 6.99. The September the D's, excuse me, up eight cents to close at 707. And really quickly here mentioning spring wheat because they continue to push higher. The September contract up five and three quarters cents today to close at 923. The D's up five and a half cents to close at 911. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw some mixed trade as the August live cattle contract added seven and a half cents to close at 120.25. The October, however, down 50 cents to close Pulls at 125.10. Feeder cattle had strength today as the August contract added $1.75 to close at 157.37 and a half. The September up 55 cents to close at 159.05. And in lean hogs today, weakness as the August lean hog contract shed $1.17 and a half to close at 104.47 and a half. The October down $1.37 and a half to close at 89.37 and a half. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. The August contract down nine cents today to close at sixteen seventy. The September down three cents to close at seventeen twenty-eight. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Matt Bennett of AgMarket.net. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Matt Bennett of AgMarket.net. Matt, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, actually. We're at the four H fair this week. So uh Working from uh, the fair, this is uh, my third, fourth child that I guess is starting in 4-H, and this is his first year 4-H eligible. Uh, weather's great. Um, you know, it's uh, it's always a fun week. So uh, uh, I have my hands full juggling, but it's going to be a good week. You get to play fair dad this week while you're also watching the markets. But Matt, I also wanted to ask, how are crops looking in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, I, I can't lie about it. My, my corn crop looks as good as a corn crop could look. Um, Yes, we've had an abundance of moisture. There's going to be a few holes here and there, but nothing extravagant. We actually had a perfect stand, uh, but the last, oh, I don't know, 20 days or so, we've had about 13 inches of rain. So uh, now it's been spread out a little bit, uh, but at the same time, all that rain has definitely taken its toll on the soybean crop. So I feel like the corn crop is quote unquote made. Um, it's in good shape. We definitely will need probably a good grain fill weather but I think there's going to be some awfully good corn. Soybeans, again, uh, a little bit of trouble, especially in areas that don't drain well. Uh, and as far as the soybean crop goes, we've got a long ways to go. But uh, we definitely need to have the makings of a good bean crop. But as far as corn goes, this could be some of the best ever in parts of my world. Yeah, I, I think that's been kind of the resounding confirmation we've heard from other farmers is that it's either really good in some parts and then we have areas that are still really bad like areas up in the dakotas which you know obviously maybe aren't as big of a corn producing state as illinois is where you're at there matt but as far as national yields go it's maybe a little early to have that conversation but what do you anticipate we're going to see from a corn and soybean production stance that's a that's a really tough question and so if you try to handicap the U.S. national yield as far as corn is concerned this year. Uh, what you've got to talk about is what we've already talked about, that there's going to be some people posting some awfully, awfully impressive yields. And at the same time, 
there's a lot of areas in North Dakota that, you know, they may not have uh, 50% of APH in some areas from what we're hearing. And some of the producers that we're talking to that we actually deal with are telling us this. So, um, you know, I guess from a national yield standpoint, I feel pretty confident right now that we've got a record type yield of, you know, maybe that uh, you'd have to get to 177, a little, a little under 177, but let's call it 177. I feel pretty good about that kind of yield just because there's going to be such good crops in the Eastern Corn Belt, especially even parts of Iowa are going to be looking at really big corn yields. Uh, but the problem is I don't know if I can get the trend line just yet with 179 and a half. I kind of want to see uh, the areas that have uh, been able to be, be strung along with enough moisture uh, in Minnesota and South Dakota to get that big uh, uh, drenching rain. And unfortunately, this 6, 10 and 18 to 8 to 14 just doesn't look all that conducive for that. So I struggle to get to 179 and a half right now. I'm going to call it maybe 177 and a half. So Matt, what's that do for corn prices? If we do have a 177 and a half, are we done rallying? Um, you know, if we have a 177 and a half, I don't think that we're necessarily done rallying. So, you know, if I take the USDA's uh, uh, supply and demand figures and, and I plug them in, you know, with this, uh, you know, with the, the acreage that they gave us here at the end of the month, the end of June, 92.692, you know, and I start plugging in some of these numbers. OK, so a 177 and a half, as far as my balance sheet goes, gives us a carry out of about 1365. So uh, certainly there's some assumptions there that you could make that, uh, for instance, exports could be increased uh, a fair bit because uh, essentially the USDA is dropping uh, to a uh, from 2.85 billion down to around 25, 245 to 2.5, and so obviously there's some adjustments higher that can be made, especially whenever our export program for new crop is so strong. So are we done rallying? I don't know that we can make new highs, uh, but I certainly think that 177 and a half keeps the market extremely well supported and puts you in a position where you really need to see strong markets, particularly out. Uh, to next year. So 495 and three quarters where we closed these 22. It's important to watch that because we all know uh, that some of our input costs have really come up here uh, in the last several weeks as we would expect them to do. But there's going to be big pressure to have big corn acres in 22. And I think that'll keep the market supported. Matt, I want to talk a little bit more about markets that were trading last night into today. We had a major sell-off in the soybean markets, but if you looked at last night's overnight trading, things seemed pretty positive. And then today we had a pretty massive sell-off in the soybean market, uh, didn't have much movement today in the corn market. What's going on there? Right. And so, I mean, just looking at a couple of them that I want to look at, uh, these corn settled 15 and a quarter off of its highs. Uh, certainly, uh, it was nice to see us close just barely up a little bit. I think if you had to close down towards the lows, uh, uh, which were about uh, seven, three quarters off the lows, if you had to close down six or seven cents, I don't think that would have spelled good things for the corn market as far as this week goes. Whenever you get over to soybeans, for instance, August beans, you know, the high on the day was 1480 posted on the overnight and you settled at 1428, just two and a quarter off of the highs. And so, you know, obviously 52 cents off the high is a pretty, pretty serious deal. I mean, it's not a good situation there, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, you got to remember where prices already are. I mean, those are some awfully good levels uh, as far as no beans go. 1372 and three quarters was, you know, uh, 26 and uh, let's see, 44, 44 cents and change off of the highs. Not as drastic maybe as you're nearby, but still it's a pretty big change. Now, 
we got to keep things in perspective, though, Delaney. I keep trying to encourage producers to understand on a day like today, whenever they're shaking their head, I can't believe I didn't sell anything. You know, A, let's keep some offers in place because these markets have been so wildly volatile. Some of these offers get hit on the overnight market uh, whenever you're asleep and you're no worse for the wear. B, uh, even if you sold today at the close uh, and you have kind of yields that we're looking at that we were just talking about, especially in the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, talk about some incredible incomes compared to the last few years. Got to keep things in perspective because we're in really good situation, even after a down day. Absolutely. And Matt, since we're talking grain markets, I wanted to wrap things up here and talk spring wheat. How much uh, gas we have left in this tank? Well, spring wheat closed about 20 off the highs. You know, they're on the D uh, contract. Uh, no doubt that uh, there could be some super fireworks there. I mean, this spring wheat crop is in bad shape. We're going to get, uh, you know, new ratings again here at three. I fully expect you to be languishing in that 14, 16% good to excellent rating. But, you know, the problem is it's in trouble. And so uh, we're not going to have a lot of good spring wheat this year. And uh, obviously we dropped the entire wheat crop here uh, on the July report. And so you can find some support there. Now, our carryouts on wheat are nothing like they are for corn and soybeans, but certainly significantly tighter than what we're used to. And so my personal opinion on uh, spring wheat is that I wouldn't want to necessarily go short spring wheat. Uh, it's it's a tough market to play. And if people have a good enough memory, they remember going into the $20 range and above. And that's not something you want to get on the wrong side of. So I wouldn't try to get too cute with the spring wheat market. Matt, let's chat livestock here for a moment as well. Uh, what are you hearing from cattle guys? Well, one thing I'm hearing uh, the last three or four weeks, you know, is whenever the market's backed off on corn and beans, they sure <laughs> like the way things look, you know, because this feeder market, of course, is has been a little bit scary at times. You know, you just don't know if you can make money, you know, whenever you're feeding $7 corn like we were earlier in the year. And so, uh, you know, as far as the fat cattle market goes, I mean, I thought that maybe we would maintain, uh, you know, prices a little bit better. Last week, we finally rallied towards the end of the week, uh, got 120 on your front month. Uh, you got a nice little carry that moves on out uh, all the way into next year. And I fully expect that uh, that kind of market is going to hold together quite nicely. I do think numbers uh, would support cattle prices where they're at currently. And if nothing else, I'm, I'm not so sure that we don't rally cattle prices as we move towards, uh, you know, the third and fourth quarter and even into next year. But as far as feeders are concerned, it's, that's been a tough game. I mean, it's definitely a guessing game. And if you're on the buying side, it's uh, one of those things where you got to step out in faith, but that's nothing new for the cattle producer. And Matt, lastly here, what about the lean hog market? We had some nice uh, bounce off some of our lows last week, but we pulled back today. Yeah, we did pull back today. And I think the thing for hogs for me, every time that we've bounced, you know, on some good pork export sales or anything that gave us a little bit of a shot in the arm, I've tried to remind people, you know, this uh, hog market got way overcooked, so to speak. And uh, I guess my personal opinion is that spending time above $100 isn't something that's real typical for the hog market. I know we're in different times right now, but at the same time, Overall, I, I got to think getting back into an equilibrium type trade where you're uh, below $100, maybe a fair bit, is probably the direction we're going to end up heading. A lot of this is going to be dependent upon, you know, what's going to go on with ASF. Uh, are they going to have a, a bigger issue in China than what we all want to see? And we certainly hope that's not the case. But if it is, it, it definitely could have impact on hog prices. Fantastic. Well, Matt, I hope you have a fun and uh, hopefully 
great county fair week this week. Hopefully you guys bring home some good ribbons, but uh, thanks again for coming on and chatting markets today. Yeah, absolutely. Our goal this week, Delaney, with this being his first year is let's just have fun and uh, let's <laughs> don't have anything too crazy go on because the county fair can get kind of wild. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully he has fun with that and uh, hopefully you can keep your head on straight while you've got that going on with markets this week, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Delaney. Thanks again there to Matt for coming on for a Market Monday episode. I feel like it's been some time since we've talked to him, but great to catch up nonetheless. It certainly was, Ashton. I agree. Uh, and Matt had some great things to share there, but we're going to be chatting with other great guests this week coming up on the podcast. So folks, be sure to stay tuned in on any future episodes or past episodes. You can find us at agnewsdaily.com. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.